Hey community, welcome to our sermon podcast for wanderers, seekers, and thinkers, for deconstructing and reconstructing. This is a feed of Open Door Church, a faith community focused on God's love and grace, a progressive church built around action, community, and people. Enjoy this week's message and check back often as we're posting new content every week. that uh, we hold our service this morning on the unceded territories of the Katsi and Kwantlen First Nations people. And it's important for us to, to be aware and to be thinking through what does it mean to be connected to this land and, and how, do we, how do we undo some of the work that's been done. This morning... I want to talk about shalom as freedom. So last week we sort of did this unity piece of God working in the world to bring all things together. This morning I want to to continue that same line of thought and the idea of freedom and what it means to be free. It's kind of a strange concept because we can't necessarily define it. And when we start to define it, when we start to control it, when we start to try to create it, we begin losing a sense of what's happening in, uh, in the notion of freedom. But shalom is this vision for all of creation to be in unity together, in freedom together. And it's this idea that There's a vision for how the world should be, but it isn't yet. And so we're going to do a little bit of that work this morning. Essentially, when we talk about shalom in in the biblical text, we have all of these different meanings, right? We went through a a number of the different meanings. Uh, Peace between neighbors, the relationship that we have with one another, uh, an internal sort of uh, personal shalom of of peace and rest and settledness, uh, the ideas of, of simply not being at war with others, that famous Jeremiah 29, 11 quote of, thank you, is the concept, is the welfare of the city, is shalom. So sometimes it gets translated as welfare or, or, uh, or blessing. And so, so we have all of these different contexts. There's a key piece that runs through the entire text, and that is shalom as freedom, and which sometimes means shalom as liberation, uh, which we don't like to say in churches but that word, but we're going to do it today. So we're going to talk about the Exodus, because at the Exodus, God's story begins in a way that shapes the future of the Israelite people of the Jewish tradition, of Christian tradition, and, and the worlds that, that we think about religion and faith and what God is doing. In the Exodus, God liberates a people. And as Jesus comes to the scene, Jesus moves, and as Walter Brueggemann puts it, from one person to the next, creating many exoduses in these people's lives. And, and giving them freedom from different things that enslave us. 
Before we do that, let's play a little game. Because as we talk about freedom, we're going to talk about oppression or enslavement. Why don't you tell me a few things that enslave us? Not all at once. What do you got? Oh, your phone. Okay, sure. Technology. Your phone enslaves all of us? Or just you? Go for it, Riley. Addictions. Yes. Fear. Oh, fear is so good. Yeah. Death. Say it again. Competition. Oh, we're getting uh, substructural now. All right. Anyone? No? We're good with those? Shame. Economy. Yeah. Oh, the government. All right. <laughs> On that note, let, so let, let me talk about some of this. Because we have expectations placed on us, in all of those things you just named, there are expectations placed on us and how we live, what we do, where we go, uh, how we think, breathe, make decisions. All of those things are part of obligations. I was reading through... Uh, as we discussed last week, this text from, uh, from Walter Brueggemann. And I started thinking about uh, a theory called family systems theory. I think I've introduced it before, but is that familiar? Family systems theory, familiar to anyone? Family systems theory is sort of the idea that we, we work and live in a system within our family, so relationships to your mother, to your father, relationships uh, when all four of you are together, you play a specific role or for whatever, however many people are in your family. When your family's together, you play a specific role, and it shapes how you make decisions and, and how you be- behave. Uh, if you've, if you've uh, claimed yourself as the youngest sibling or the middle child or any of those terms, it it begins to shape then how you respond based on what your role is in the family. Those are all obligations. And we choose, choose is kind of an iffy word here, we choose to respond to those situations based on the, the structure that is around us. The same thing happens when we, when we talk about technology of our phones or, or any other kind of technology. When we talk about, uh, when we talk about addictions or fear or the economy, or things, we, we talk about consumerism. In every sense of those words, we respond the way that we think we're supposed to respond. We're supposed to have this kind of vehicle. We're supposed to have this kind of access to this kind of food, and it has to be this kind and not that. All of those things are obligations that we or the world has placed on us to live and make decisions. All of those pieces are points of enslavement. And the story of the Exodus and the story of Jesus moving from one person to the next is, is to say, you don't have to choose to live that way. Let me tell you something. It's going to upset your mother when you choose not to live whatever out, story out that you're supposed to live. It's going to be ups, upsetting and unsettling, but that's part of setting 
people free is the reality that we don't have to live under the guidelines and regiments that we've been uh, that have been placed on us. The story of the Exodus. As an oppressive reality, the Exodus is a story about social oppression, right? So when we tell the story, here, let's pull up some scripture, just because we should do that. Then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. Maybe that meant, maybe that should be translated to whom, who who didn't care about Joseph, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous if, we, if war breaks out. We'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. So literally a story of slavery, right? A story of of oppressive work. The Pharaoh says, we're going to take control of this situation enslave, oppress, and treat ruthlessly, forced labor. So we have these stories throughout our history. We have, we have examples of, of this behavior. It's not new then. It's not new to us, or it's not out of the realm of possibility now. And, and God's going to hear the cry of the people that are now in anger and frustration and voicing their level of discontent to God. And the key line is, God heard the cry of the people. Over and over and over, God heard the cry of the people and steps in. So as an oppressive reality, this story of freedom or the story of the Exodus is a story of God seeing oppression as a social construct and saying, nope, and intervenes to change the way that functions or is. As a theological narrative, it is something much more significant and something much larger. As a theological narrative, this story of the Exodus as an oppressive reality is a story that, that tells us, that, that expresses that God has a vision for the world and for humanity that is greater and bigger and that the world needs freedom to operate in this holistic fullness of shalom. As a theological narrative, God steps in to shape the way the world should be. And everything that follows is a story of the fullness and wholeness of life coming into fruition. All of those forms of enslavement that we named come through coercion. We can be coerced in a a thousand different ways. All of that leads to an enslavement. So the obligation that your family places on you to do this or that, when you do it out of obligation, it is that coerced, you're not in control, you do not have the freedom 
sometimes you have to do it anyway. It's the recognition that you're choosing to do something that helps set us free. I love that fear was named because fear may be the most devastating thing to our faith, to our way of life, to shalom, to unity, to freedom. Out of fear, we make decisions that enslave us. Out of fear, we choose hate over love. Out of fear, we choose not to lift up, not to rescue, but to push down, to force out. The oppressive force of Pharaoh is fear. What if they rise up? What if they join our enemies? What if, what if, what if? Out of fear, Pharaoh responds in a holy, unhealthy place of enslavement. In that moment, Pharaoh himself requires freedom from fear. Out of fear, we choose social policies that push down others that maintain status quo. Out of fear, we choose economic policies that maintain the status quo. Out of fear, we choose not to make significant strides forward in changing the relationship that we have with First Nation peoples. Out of fear. Out of fear, we cannot respond to Anita Place Tent City appropriately because what if? I was sitting in a a ministerial meeting. Some of us pastors get together um, once a month. I don't make many of these meetings. It's a long story. You can ha- we can have that privately. And we had a new constable of the RCMP, Ridge Meadows, and the second in command. So the top two people of RCMP, Ridge Meadows, presenting and sharing their plan for the community. Okay, so we've got... Um, Decisions being made about how people on the streets are being treated. We have decisions being made about uh, all kinds of things and the way that the RCMP reacts and responds to our community. Big, Really, it's like uh, the idea of community policing and, and different things. Really big concepts that change the feel and and relationship that our community has with law enforcement and with each other, our community has with each other. And we spent, in the Q&A period, we spent about 15 minutes talking about the best way to deal with needles on church parking lots. Out of fear, we didn't ask questions about community policing and relationships in our community or how the RCMP are instructed to handle and respond to people on the streets or people with disabilities or anything All of that we focus on. So we have a a preschool that meets in our building and a playground and and we found a needle. How should we on the ground, and we can't have that because of the preschool, how should we deal with this? And we spent 15 minutes having that conversation instead of talking about what about the opioid crisis? What about 
people dying in the streets. What about, what about, like we have real things going on in our community and you want to know. <laughs> she said, well, you probably don't want to hear it, but the best thing you could do is put up a sharps box. <laughs> should we put up a fence? Should we lock it? Should we, you know, you should put up a sharps box. We have built and ingrained in us. And for good reason, fear keeps us out of dangerous situations. But fear also leads us to a place that we are not free in the way we live and the way we make decisions and the way we carry out God's love in the world around us. And in this moment, in the story of the Exodus, God is saying it's not just a social reality that we need to step in and, and be the force of liberation in those lives of people that are oppressed around us. It is more than that. It is a theological, this is who I am, this is God's vision for the world, is to see freedom and to bring about freedom in the lives of individuals and communities. It's no small feat here. I want to give you a, a few minutes because as we move into the next few lines of that Exodus passage, uh, it brings to light a theology that we're going to introduce to you today. It's very dangerous. You should not read about it and could harm you and your faith, okay? That's the lead-in for this. <laughs> it's called uh, Muharista theology. It is a womanist or feminist theology out of Latin America that reads the text from the place of women, oppressed women in Latin America. See how it's dangerous? It could lead you to love people that you're not supposed to care about. Uh, Mujerista theology takes this beautiful moment of the Exodus and says, what if we actually understood that in our current context, in our current world, the realities of we walk out of here in the streets, in our daily life, in our families, what if we took this idea of the exodus, this idea of freedom, this idea of liberation, and actually believed it, and actually worked to write, to bring about the right order of our communities? That's the, the long and the short of this. It is hyper-focused on the real daily lives of women in Latin America. It is hyper-focused on what are the real areas of enslavement that we need to be freed from. And that looks different. So we are not Latina women in Latin America, right? We're not in Latin America, so that helps. I'm not a Latina, just to be clear. But if we pull this theology out and say, what does it mean for us to read the text from this perspective? How do we understand the world differently when we read the text and when we read the story of the Exodus, when we read the story of Jesus freeing people from their own enslavement? What does it mean for us to understand what it means from the underside of society, for those people that are oppressed? Let me try a step forward here. If you are living on the street, 
at a Nita place or in the woods under a bridge and you are reading the story of Jesus reaching down to rescue people from lives of oppression. What does that mean to you? When the man comes and kneels down before Jesus and says, I need help. When the Spirit speaks out of that man and says, don't hurt us, what are you going to do? Torture us. And Jesus says, what is your name? And he he responds, legion. How does that read if you are in a place of addiction? When Jesus drives out that spirit. What does it mean to be freed when you are in a place of oppression? If you are not given the proper rights, if you are, have been removed from your land, if you've been enslaved through the, the process of, uh, of our socioeconomic system, what does it mean when God, when Jesus steps in and rescues those individuals from illness, leprosy, so that they can be returned to their community? Evil spirits, blindness, inability to walk. What does it mean to you to read the story of Jesus from a place of oppression? That's the point of Muharista theology. The next few lines of the Exodus story, I didn't tell you this, we were in chapter 1, verse 8, we read a little bit. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramses at store cities, as store cities for, for, for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more fruitful, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in, in brick and mortar with all kinds of work in the fields and all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, it's possible that that means the midwives to the Hebrews, just to be clear, we could be talking about an Egyptian woman or women that are midwives to the Hebrew women, whose names were Sifra and Pua, which is the Hebrew name, so maybe it's not, but you get the idea. We have options. When you are helping the Hebrew woman during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. If you are a woman living in an oppressed society and read this story about these two women who were given, or these midwives that were given direct orders 
to carry out an evil task from the Pharaoh himself, and they said no. And when asked about it, they lied to the Pharaoh because they were unwilling to work within that oppressive system. No longer is this simply a story of God coming in and rescuing. This is a story now of how the most vulnerable people in society can say no and can set themselves free and can overturn the system of oppression that is in place. They said no. Not to his face. But they said no. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. And they let the boys live. Undoing the structural the systemic place of oppression in their culture and in their society. Unwilling to participate. We have options to respond differently, to reflect differently, to live differently. Unfortunately, we often match fear with fear and hate with hate and anger with anger until it consumes us as well. Unfortunately, we often read the text from our own place, which is good and necessary, and forget that when the text is read from a different perspective, it changes the way we read it. Instead of spiritualizing this story about about these two midwives, instead of spiritualizing that story and talking about the God of freedom... When you're in that place, you have to see the reality of it. You see it in your daily life. You see it when you wake up. You see it when you go out into the community. You see the oppressive forces. If you've spiritualized the story, you miss all of the reality of the context in our social lives here and now. Maybe that's your family. Maybe that's our community. Maybe that's personal enslavement through through fear, anxiety, through obligations, expectations that we've placed on ourselves or that our family or others have placed on us. We don't have to respond the same. So don't read any more about that because it's dangerous. You might care about people you're not supposed to care about. Shalom as freedom gives us a way, a look into the world. And it's no different than shalom as unity that we did last week. It's just understanding that to bring about unity requires bringing about freedom so that we can be, as Brueggemann put it last week, we said, so that we can be in harmony, all creatures with every other creature. That's all I got. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Open Door Church. Our intro and outro music was created by Lee Rosevere and is used under a Creative Commons by Attribution license. Have a great week. Ask the hard questions.
and explore God's love. Everyone is always welcome to join the journey with us at Open Door. Learn more at opendoorfamily.ca. That's opendoorfamily.ca.